Well, welcome back to the Sophomoros Podcast. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my best friend from growing up, Martin Pfeiffer. Um, yeah, what up? He, uh, I don't get to see him very often. He's back in the States for uh, just a month, yeah? Yeah, a month doesn't change. Um, so he's back here for a month. Um, you're heading back in like a week and some yeah. change, yeah? Yeah, August, August 2nd. August 2nd. Um, and we're recording on the 24th today, so um, I wanted to get him on the podcast because um, he's one of my friends that I think resembles the Christian life probably better than most people that I know, um, uh, thank you. and is more committed to the cause of Christ than a lot of people I know, and so he's got some crazy stories, um, he's got some interesting viewpoints, and I wanted to get him on the podcast to, uh, to check out what he thinks. So um, for me and him, it'll probably be... Um, you know, repetition of stories that have already been told, but mm-hmm. a lot of these stories, other people probably haven't heard, and so, well, you know, yes. they're just now meeting you, so they don't know any of these stories, so. Yep. So, Martin, why did you decide to move to where you live now? Well, maybe first start, where do you live now, and then why did you decide to move there? Yes, okay, so, going back into the history books, um... When I graduated high school, I, okay, we're going to go all the way back. We're just going to start from the beginning. I was born November 6th, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how I became a Christian is going to have a lot of context and, and give some context to the story of how I ended up in Nepal. And so I grew up in a Christian family, but wasn't living a Christian lifestyle or even close. Um, but then during spring break, my church uh, had announced that they were going to give this trip to an HIV orphanage. And I was like, okay. And literally the thought in my head was like, I will have a such cooler spring break than all of my friends if I go to <laughs> India. And I was like, I can flex on everyone. Like, yeah. My one friend's going up to the coast. My other friend's like going to his ground. Like, yeah. I was in India. I was riding elephants. Yeah. <laughs> like, zero, yeah. zero thought about like, oh yeah, HIV orphans loving Jesus. I was like, no. Yeah. Elephants, selfies in the palm trees and whatnot like that. And your sister is adopted from India, right? So yes, so I went there when I was 10, but that that provides very little context to the story. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, that's fair. You were, so you were 10 years old when you... I didn't, wow, I didn't realize yeah, I you were 10. that old when you... Wow. When at least yeah, because my sister adopted. and I are 10 years apart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, fundraised the money, went to India, and was like, okay. And then uh, my entire world was completely wrecked and turned upside down because... I was living in the world and a big fan of it. <laughs> I mean, when you're in the world, you want money, you want to feel good, you want to, you know, do things in the world. And I had all those things. I was using a lot of substances and was doing pretty well for my age. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing well. So fast forward to showing up in an HIV orphanage and all of these children are worshiping and I've seen more joy than I've ever seen in my life. And I had this weird presence that I came mm. to understand was actually the presence of the Lord. Mm. And everything just kind of falled apart. Like, my entire view of success and everything I valued, I was like, I'm actually, like, squandering everything. Like, yeah. <laughs> all these things that I value and love are are atrocious and an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. So, yeah, from there I was like, okay, I'm seeing the gospel actually come to life here. I'm like, I'm seeing the least of these that is spoken about in the Bible and they're all worshiping and and they have so much joy and they have peace and though they have no parents they have no money they have none of these things that I value I've never seen joy and and purpose like this and from that day I was I was for sure changed like big time 
How old were the kids that you were working with there? Um, uh, there was a lot. They were. Were they all kind of all yeah, over? Yeah, there the was like twenty age? of them. So there was there was I think a, like one year old kid there all the way up to like eighteen year olds. Was, oh wow! It was okay. a full spread. Okay. Because the the orphanage there, the context there is um, like it's a very undeveloped part of India. Excuse me. And uh, they have they have no understanding of HIV at all. No, they just didn't get it. They're like, if you have HIV, you're disgracing your family, and it's contagious. So they're just completely rejected. Yeah. So um, there was yeah a lot of kids. No no shortage of need there. Mm. Um, but yeah, at that time, like like I said, I was still hanging with a really rough crowd here, doing stuff, selling stuff, just very, very bad decisions. And I knew that if I came back here and, and stayed, that, you know, I, I knew I didn't have the self-control to just live a good Christian life now mm. or just a successful life, period. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, that goes back, even the Proverbs say clearly, like, the paraphrase is who you hang out with, you're gonna be like them. Yeah, you know, it says some. If you if you spend your time with the rich and wise, you'll be rich and wise. With the poor, you'll be poor. But, um, yeah. So I just decided, you know what? Nepal's cool. That's almost India. We <laughs> 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 got Mount Everest and yeah. mountains and whatnot. And I I came to Christ like uh, serving these children, these orphan kids. So I was like, let's keep this trend going. Yeah. <laughs> so I emailed a guy I found online. And he had a kid's home in Nepal. And I was just like, hey, do you have volunteers? He's like, yeah. I was like, can I come stay? He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll be there for five months. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so a few months later, I just uh, worked and showed up in Nepal. And it was it was a roller coaster. So I, was, I did end up staying for five entire months. And while I was there, I was just reading the Bible with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And like for the first time, like I said, I grew up in church. But reading the Bible that first time and actually believing it is like, mind-blowing <laughs> so that's actually that's that's an interesting idea there that you grew up in church so i mean yeah. like you and i grew up in the same sort of cohort we both went to awanas together we knew the yeah, stories yeah, yeah. we watched the veggie tales like you know oh yeah oh yeah we, we were we were in the crowd we did the bible memorization mm -hmm. and yet you were not it, it seems like the the scriptures took on new life for you all of a sudden after yeah. you're saved so what that means, I think, if I can extrapolate, is people can read the Bible yeah. and have no idea 100%. who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. I credit it completely. Ephesians 1, 16, it says that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you, and he prays, Paul prays that the Church of Ephesus, that their eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Mm. So I think unless you have that spirit of wisdom and revelation, unless the Lord is revealing things to you, it's just a book. <laughs> it is. And I'm just, I'm saying that for my life experience like yeah. i knew all the stories i watched i watched the ninevites hit the hit jonah with fish right, <laughs> right, right, right. which is biblically accurate by the way that's, yeah, 100%. In, the, that's in the book yeah but yeah i knew all the stories but they just i was like okay cool i know the story of tarzan too but yeah yeah that's, that's yeah that's good the best way i can articulate it is just like it for me in my life's experience when i was out getting dirty and like seeking the lord it just the gospel all the stories started coming to life hmm Hmm. When I, Jesus talks about the least of these, I'm like, oh, this is them. <laughs> this is who you're talking about. So would you say that unless you have an intention to be obedient, you aren't going to understand the scriptures? Would you go that far? Yeah. All right. Not to their full extent. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to understand. Yeah, I would say so. You'll understand them fully when you surrender and submit. Right, because 
I mean, what is Jesus? He says you can judge a tree by the fruit which it bears. And there's mm. some people who are a gazillion times smarter than I, who know the Bible a gazillion times better than I do, but their trees bearing no fruit. Mm-hmm. And so I think if it's if you're truly understanding the word rather than just knowing it, if you're understanding it with that spirit of wisdom and revelation, then you're gonna get it to the full extent. I would say. So here's and that comes from seeking obedience. Uh, here's, here's a hard question then for you. Here we go. What are we four minutes? Nine minutes in? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, we're nine minutes in. Here this it goes fast. Question. It goes fast. Um, so here's the question: Would you say first off, just to set the scene, would you say that there are people in church? who know the Bible better than you, maybe are smarter than you, but who aren't obedient in the way that they need to be to fully understand. Uh, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. that requires a lot of judgment, which I am not the judge. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, that's a dangerous scripture for sure. When Jesus says you can judge the, the tree by the fruit which it bears. Cause, right. I mean, it depends who you ask also and what season you're seeing someone in. Certainly, um, certainly. Oof. What do you think about it? It's <laughs> a good question. That's a scary well, question. Well, so I'll come as somebody who I, I think is not as obedient as you, right? So I'm, I'm coming under and I'll say, yes, I think, I think I'm also in the church and I am less obedient than you and mm. probably understand less because of it. But so, and then even beyond that, I think there are people like me. So in that case, what do you... What should the church do, right? I'm a youth pastor, yeah. and you're a missionary, kind of. I mean, like, you were at one point, and now you're you're thinking, you know, maybe expatriate is a better way of descri- describing yourself. I'm an immigrant. Yeah, you're an immigrant <laughs> to, to Nepal, um, which is a funny thing to hear, you yeah. know, in an American context. But So um, I, I would say the, the question is, what, what does the church do, right? Because, like, the people that are the most maybe... This is hard because, you know, I'm often in this category. But the people that are the most poisonous to the church are the mm-hmm. people who think they believe but they don't. Who, are, who think that they're yeah. being obedient but they aren't. Right. Um, or who are, have just disregarded their sinfulness, right? I think that's... I've become more and con- more convinced over the years that the, that the key to um, the Christian life is repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That in, so my pastor just uh, yesterday preached a, a sermon on, on how faith and repentance go hand in hand. They are complementary. They maybe aren't the exact same thing, but they're two sides of the same coin, right? right like right, you right. can't be faithful and not repent, right? Yes, it's impossible. So how do we... Maybe the bigger question then is not about obedience. It's about repentance. Maybe the question mm-hmm. is more like, what do we do for the people who s- seem to be unrepentant in their disobedience? What do we encourage them towards? What do we, what do we decide? You know, like, what's the move? So, coming from a big prayer room guy, that's another, we'll probably dive into this at some point in this podcast. Yeah. I believe that those, I find it incredibly difficult to stay in the place of solitude and the place of silence with Jesus, hard, harboring unrepentant sin. If you actually set that time aside, because we're so stimulated all the time, mm. morning till night, mm. even if, we, if we, we're harboring sins that we know we shouldn't be, most of the people, okay, let me rephrase that, most of the people who, who have these unrepented sins that they know they shouldn't have, I can almost guarantee you that they are not spending time in silence and in isolation with the Lord. Mm. Because when you are, that conviction will eat you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if you just, just put a few minutes aside, just listen, just come and, and claim these promises that the Lord will meet you in a secret place, you commune with the Lord, It, I promise it's going to be very evident 
that you're going to reflect on yourself and be like, ah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'm willing to say that pretty certainly that the people who are, who are living with unrepented sin are not spending time in the place of silence. And I can say that because when I'm in those seasons, I'm not perfect. I mean, you keep saying I'm obedient, which is, <laughs> I try my best, but there's certainly seasons of disobedience. And in those seasons, my prayer room is empty. I'm not in there yeah. because I don't want to go and feel convicted. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I would say that silence and isolation with the Lord is the prescription for most of the problems with the body of Christ. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's dead on. I really like that answer. Because what that does also is it puts you in a posture of begging for exactly. righteousness. You're not, right? Like, I, I had this epiphany hit me at one point that to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness means that I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So when Jesus yeah. says people, he wants people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he's not just talking about people who are gluttonous for, you know, who, who are full of it, right? Because then they wouldn't be hungry. If they were full of it, they wouldn't be hungry. Yeah. He's, he's talking about people who mm. who don't, who don't have it and they know that and they're hungry for it. They're yeah. asking, right? Yeah, yeah, they're begging. Yeah. So for, uh, same with us, we need to be hungry. And when we when we think we're full of righteousness, that's that's when we're uh, yeah. cursed, right? That's when we're not blessed. So anyways, okay, so let's go back. So you're, man, where were we in the story? I'm trying to remember back. Um, uh, I was in Nepal reading the Bible, but believing yes, it for the first yes. time. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, there were still ups and downs. I was basically a brand new Christian. I mean, I had the knowledge from forever, but I would say I was born again when I was in India. Like, I was like, I believe this. I want Jesus and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, when I was in Nepal, I <laughs> was loving these kids and, and reading the Bible. And then I just got on this kick of, like, suffering. <laughs> I was just, like, obsessed. I'm like, Jesus talks about suffering so much. And, yeah. like, I just felt so convicted about how comfortable my life was. And I You're also in Enneagram 7. And so it, it makes yes. sense with your personality that you're going to serve, you know, you're going to be like, where can I jump into the, the cold yeah, water? Yeah, I know? tend to, we had this discussion just on the way here when I shoved five Mentos pieces of gum in my mouth. I just... <laughs> I, I told him, I said, yeah, I had a little can of Mentos gum. I told him, help yourself. And I thought to myself, I mean, like, there's five pieces left. There's no way he gets eats all of them, right? I, I don't need to tell him not to eat all five. And I, I hear him put it down. I don't hear any rattle. There's no more gum in the can. He's eaten all five pieces of gum. Uh, they were so small, man. <laughs> it's just a funny moment. All, all right, right, so... I like to say that I just... I tend to do things pretty extreme. So yeah, I was yeah. like, all right, suffering. Jesus loves the poor a lot. He loves the least. So I was like, let's go to South Sudan. <laughs> So it was actually Golly. Uganda. So I did a DTS, and I was the only white person. What's a DTS for those listening? Uh, it's a discipleship training school through YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Okay. Um, so I was in the middle of this village with a bunch of Ugandans mm-hmm. running from snakes and scorpions and all this nonsense. I got malaria twice, and I was like, okay, this is suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we did, it was just a, like five and a half months. We did like our, so a DTS, it's structured where there's a three month lecture phase and then a two month uh, outreach phase. Mm-hmm. So we were in Northern Uganda. We, half of our school is Sudanese and half of them were Ugandans. And their outreach was all up North, like in the South Sudan uh, border and all the refugee camps. Mm. And yeah, that was insane. That was poverty. Like I did not know existed. It was, it was the classic like culture shock stuff where you're just thinking, this is not how does this exist on earth? You know, yeah. I'm talking with people. They're like, yeah, my three-year-old just died from diarrhea. My dad just died from dehydration. Like, yeah. 
your your loved ones are are dying from mosquito bites. It's nuts. Yeah. Like I was just so angry at everything and <laughs> and what was contributing to that poverty do you think the most was it like a lack of world intervention was it um like civil war was it you know like corruption in the government what what was the what was the biggest problem in that in the area you were in that was causing the poverty or it's, allowing it to progress it's so difficult to put a finger on it and it's different for every every person you ask there so obviously i was asking everyone the same questions but i think uh a big root of it is just tribalism because hmm. it's so undeveloped and tribalism just runs it. So when you're used to tribalism but trying to function in a society, it doesn't work Yeah. ever. Yeah, because it, it, tribalism is necessarily one group against another. Exactly. So there so, are societies, but they're just those groups and it's like micro-war. It's, yeah, no, like, micro-war but that has overridden the entire country. So like in yeah. South Sudan, there's the government has fallen then the police are their own corrupt group. Hmm. Then there's like the different rebel groups within the rebels. Everyone's just killing each other all the time because they wow. all have like their own tribes. Yeah. And then they come to Uganda for refuge. Hmm. And that Uganda's better than where they're at. It was, whoa, crazy. Yeah. So I was there and got extremely sick many times and saw crazy stuff that has shaped my worldview forever. And I was like, yeah, this is not where I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And from there, directly went back to Nepal. And then... So, okay, here's a question. So you said you said before, I got in this kick of suffering. Yeah. And specifically, you felt like that was what Jesus was all about, was suffering. So, you know, we are too. Right. But then you, you went there, you suffered, and probably the most you've ever suffered, right? By far. By far. And then, you, and then you said, I you know, I'm not going to be here anymore. So mm -hmm. something something drew you away from that suffering. What do you do you think that it was just like you just took its toll on you or do you think you got to the point where you're like maybe suffering without a specific direction isn't the right thing or like you know like what what was it that finally dropped that out from underneath you? Well, I wouldn't say that I I ran from suffering. I was just specifically about like Africa. I was like okay okay. It was tough. So right, because then you moved to Nepal. It's not like you're moving to you know back right. to America. Yeah yeah yeah. It was, um, there was a couple things. Number one was who I was staying with. I'm not slandering anyone. I didn't love the organization I was with, but the biggest thing probably was just, I saw very little fruit in the time I was there. Hmm. It's just such a massive problem that I think help from the outside was not super helpful. Like me as a white American male, I don't think I did much hmm. with these people who have just been shredded by war and families destroyed and... It was maybe just the confusion of I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do yeah, here. It, it was yeah. I felt like that whole DCS, not to be the cliche white missionary, but it was for me. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, realistically, like I evangelized to so many people, and I think like two people said they gave their life to Christ. But I mean, who even knows what right. happened after that? It was like, it was like, hmm. Whereas in Nepal, like I really, I'm still very good friends with those people. That was 2018 when that happened. I still have friends from 2018 where I was just like, I'm effective here. Like I'm, hmm. I'm so much more effective as a vessel and ambassador of Christ here. I don't know why that is. I, I think I'm not a big believer in, not that I don't believe this happens, but usually God doesn't open up the heavens and say, Hey, go live in Kathmandu. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's usually like, you'll be pretty clear. It's God's not a God of confusion, which I take rest in. It's going to be pretty obvious. And when I was in Nepal, I'm just like, this is it. Like, I love it here. Everyone, I got along with everyone there. It was easy. India was tough. Africa was, 
extremely difficult. And then when I came back that next time, uh, my second trip in Nepal, even when just landing in the airport, I was like, this is where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> and so I met so many people over there, met this group, and then that was that leads into the prayer room story that I was telling you about. Met these guys who have the 24-7 house of prayer. Mm. And then, yeah, that was that was all back in 2019 is when this happened. So maybe you could say it was. it's kind of like the the instructions that Jesus gives to the 72 as he's sending them out. If they, if you don't see the repentance, if you don't see the, yeah. the acceptance of, of the gospel where you're at, then you, like he gives them permission to basically kick the dust off and, and move. And that doesn't mean that nobody can get the gospel there, but it right. maybe just means that you weren't the one to bring it in the way yeah, that you were hoping you would be. Certainly was not me, yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, I even premised it by saying I went to Africa to suffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. I mean, it's that. You weren't holding back. No. I was all in it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not joking. Yo. It was literally like six foot long anacondas, like in our base. Yeah. Like you. Wake I think up you sent morning, a picture of that one time. Yeah. Sounds right. Crazy stuff. You wake up. You have to sleep with a mosquito net every night. And there's like you wake up. There's a scorpion here. There's a cockroach like ten inches long on the on your net. So you wake up and that's what you see every morning. Jeez. <laughs> so it was yeah. It was pretty suffering. Mm-hmm. I got up to 103 degree fever with malaria. It was. That's gnarly. Yeah, it was nuts. It was like 110 degrees most days. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. 103 degree fever on its own is terrible, but 103 degree fever in 110 degree heat, like yeah. that's just unbearable. Pretty rough. Yeah, it was not. But I suffered. Mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so you, you moved to Nepal after yeah. that, right? Just to, to, prim- to reflect on that, I d- that was not the way. Like, <laughs> I should, I'm not recommending that. Yeah. I was, I was 19 and was like, huh, yeah, Jesus has suffered, don't bring anything, so... I brought one backpack because <laughs> he's like, Crazy. well, Jesus says, just bring the clothes on your back. I'm like, well, I'm not that holy. So I'll bring three changes of clothes. <laughs> yeah. I had long, yeah. crazy dreadlocks. Like it was. You have to have some room for improvement yeah. somewhere, right? Oh man. Yeah. Three. It's, one day you'll get back down to yes. one pair of clothes, but yeah. yeah. Not there well, yet. I wasn't, okay. I think what I'm, trying to art- <laughs> what I'm trying to articulate there is like, I don't think you should suffer just for the sake of suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Well, Paul even says that, right? Yeah, yeah. In First Corinthians. Yeah, I didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, now, like, I mean, it's not like Nepal's the easiest place in the world to live. But I can, my day to day life, I feel like I'm edifying the body of Christ by being there, and yeah. my sufferings are are worth it. Where in Africa, it was, I was literally just dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, okay, so so you move over to Nepal, um, and that begins your like long stint there right so you had the five months to kind of set you up to get mm-hmm. uh to get engaged in um kind of in community with um with the prayer house right well yeah so yeah, the so orphanage was... the original orphanage so when did you meet clem and all of that yeah so that was when i came back from africa okay so i all came right. back from africa met my friend so there was another 18 year old kid at the home who aged out when i was there in 2018 and he had um he was friends of a friend, whatever, just the whole Christian network thing. And I stumbled across this guy, as Jacob just said, Clem. He's still my really good friend. Hmm. He's an American guy over there. And he has, he's all about the prayer room. That's his thing. Like he's boys with Mike Bigel, International hmm. House of Prayer. Yeah. All about it. And so he has a 24-7 house of prayer. It's been going for, hmm. I think, nine years now. They've been going nonstop. Hmm. And uh, so I met him. He had a kid's home thing going on too, the prayer room thing. I was like, bro, I love everything you're doing. I was planning to go back to America, save up some money, and then come back on a study visa, which I had used up my tourist visas at that time, so I had to come back the following year anyways. And I was like, can I just come crash with you guys and like 
just do life with you? And he's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. I came back to America wow. for 10 months and kind of hated it. It was just like, it was a weird limbo thing. I was I, really struggling that time. I remember, I remember you coming back and talking regularly about how like this place was draining you and you yeah. felt like you couldn't keep a, a, a strong discipleship here, which definitely to me was like, you know, a word of warning, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm in these waters and somebody who's escaped the waters is coming yeah. back and saying like the discipleship dies here. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know? It was just for me personally too. I mean, even when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, like that didn't go super well for him. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but like, it was just a lot of temptations here, but no more than anything. Like at that point it was so fresh. I mean, two months before that I was in Sudanese refugee camps and then I'm here in Costco, just like pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> bleep that out. Sorry. No, I, no, no, no. That's that's fine. Pissed is fine. Yeah, I was just very angry at the world, and then I I met these awesome guys. I lived with Clem for like a couple weeks before I came back. I was like, this is what I want to do. But visa stuff and lack of money stuff. So I was just mm. ten months in the states, worked crazy hard, and almost nothing else. Mm. And then that was the start of COVID. So I flew into Nepal and the country locked down hours later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I've been there since. You, so it locked down, you said it locked down hours later? Yeah. The I don't remember it being that quick. Wow. It was insane, dude. So I flew in at like, I think 11 You were there PM. at my baptism, weren't you? My, my second... Yep. I remember that. Yeah, I was there. You were at my second baptism and that was the week before America... Like, yeah. I remember the, the church did not reopen after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, literally, wow. if, I, if I was on yeah. the flight after mine, I would not have gotten in the country. That's wild. Yeah, I got in at like 11, 11.20, That would have been February 2020, yeah? No, March 12th. March, oh, yep, 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 yep. yep. And, um, yeah, it was at like 11.20, 11.30, and 12 a.m., they mm-hmm. closed it. They're like, no one else. Jeez, so the man. Pe- the people after me were like sent back to their countries. Wow, well, that's that's some providence stuff right there. That's yeah, crazy. That was, that's what I mean. Like, it's God's not a god of confusion. Like, if He didn't want me there, I would have yeah. been on the next plane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very clear cut, like in mm. my experience. Hmm. And yeah, that was three and a half years ago. So, it, so you you went back there to um, hang out with Clem and 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 uh, how long were you with him and his gang there? Yeah, so I was in the prayer house. So this was during lockdown and. It was about nine months after this that my current ministry, Zion, was birthed. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were, so 24-7, couldn't go outside, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so I was 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. most nights, just, like, worshiping as loud as I could at the prayer room. <laughs> and what were you doing during the day? Like, what? Well, like I said, going outside was pretty illegal. Right. So they were really strict at first, and then they kind of, like, really laxed it up. But, mm-hmm. I mean... We're, it was a very large community. There was like 30 people in Clem's ministry, so we all just hung out. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was just playing games and hanging out in the prayer room and watching TV or whatever, like the whole rest of the country was doing. There was Yeah, there's no just, op- I mean, that's what we were doing so, stateside. Yeah, yeah in the beginning of the lockdown, it was literally cops had like these big bamboo rods, and they, they were instructed <laughs> by the government to just go hit people if they were outside. <laughs> So it was, <laughs> that's so funny. It was nuts. Oh my god! There was like a two-hour. Is that even? Could you say that's police brutality? Because it's bamboo rods. Like that's know. just that's funny. Like I don't know. That's, yeah. Did you ever get hit? <laughs> I did not. No, but I ran from the cops quite a bit at the end of it. I was getting nuts. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they really relaxed later on. What was well, so? What was drawing you outside that you could even have possibly been hit with a bamboo rod? Not being inside. Yeah. <laughs> well, what were you doing? 
Just what? seeing what was up, bro. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> just just hanging out outside. Yeah, I don't. Do Wasn't that either. when you were going out and like trying to hang out with people on the streets there? So later on, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it was just chaos. But I later on, the cops also got really sick of chasing people, and yeah, <laughs> it was very clear. It was pretty lax. So yeah, when I was moving around later on, it was less risky. We were just seeing all these people who couldn't pay rent because the government was like, "Hey, you don't have a job anymore." You're not getting stimulus checks like here. You're not right. getting unemployment that was more than you were making at your restaurant job. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you have no job now and figure it out. So there's a lot of people on the streets, parents that just decided they couldn't be parents anymore and just leave these kids around. Like, Jeez, just man. wild stuff. So we'd go out and go late at night when the cops were tired and we'd, like, feed all these people. Mm-hmm. And just stuff like that. Just trying to see a massive problem and be like, why is no one helping? Then where's the church? It's, yeah. Oh, well, I'm the church. <laughs> where were you... So where were you getting... Well, actually, that, that deserves its own... You know, the all of these people in the church who are screaming about injustice but aren't a part of the solution. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's garbage. But um, the... What, so most of the things were shut down in Nepal, right? And basically yeah. everything was shut everything. down. So how about the markets? How were people getting food? Yeah, so the government, the, the genius high IQ government we have over there said <laughs> from 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. you can shop, but that's it. Okay. So COVID was not contagious in Nepal from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. That makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Because so if you, the logical oh, thing to do is to make everyone crowd together in one time frame, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. Oh, no. It was... That's horrible. Yeah, oh it's a, there's gosh. a real statistic that Nepal has the lowest collective IQ out of any country in the world. And I'm not making that. You <laughs> oh can Google boy. it. You can fact check me. Oh, my gosh. And stuff like that, you just, you're like, yeah, they do. <laughs> Jeez, man. Oh, you're, it's 1230. <laughs> you're going to get hit with a bamboo rod now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man. So, okay. So you were, so you would have to go to these markets and pick up some food and then go yeah. out to see people on the streets. All right. And yeah. you were well-funded enough to, like, afford all the food that they couldn't afford at the well, time. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd just been working in America for 10 months of overtime, so... Right, right. I was doing pretty well. Right. Um, yeah, just saw a need and was like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, so that was your time with Clem. Yeah. Um, and then you said nine months after that. Around, I can't remember exact details, but around there, yeah. So it was just... So the, the lockdown opened up, I mean, in that... Between living at Clem's place and birthing my own ministry. Um, but yeah, so it was allowed to go around, so we had to hang out with these street people every day, like, all the time. Um, and then just, yeah, hearing their stories, and again, with reading the Bible with wisdom and revelation, and like, it says in Isaiah that the fasting the Lord desires is to bring the homeless into your house and share with him your bread. Mm. So I was like, Okay, let's bring the homeless into my house and share with them my bread. Yeah. So we had our own place and brought these drug addicted people in our house. Yeah. Went out on the streets a lot of nights and just fed them because this was the time when people were trying to get back on their feet. Yeah. So we're like, and this was in your own house or was my this my own house? This was you. So you and yeah. your friend went in and basically co-signed on a house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a were you renting? Country, so there's not a lot of co-signing paperwork action. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I just got a place with a bunch of rooms and started bringing people in. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, I just kind of kept going with that, and we're like, okay, James says that the religion that is seen as pure is caring for the orphan and the widow, so mm-hmm. there's no shortage of orphan kids here. Yeah. <laughs> so I started bringing orphan kids in my house, and then there was this, the Lord just provided this uh, this widowed prayer warrior lady, and I was like, you want to take care of our kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had this crazy, like, hand-picked family of the least that, that God had assembled. It was and beautiful. where is that widow now? 
She with us. She still, she still was. Us. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, she okay, okay. went on a little hiatus. She had some family issues, but she back. Oh, this is the yes. Okay, I yes, I do know about her. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so and and now where are you at with your kids? You've got so you had four. You yeah, had four. We had for a bit. four kids at one point, and that was just chaos. Yeah. So I think it's also very important to mention that I am married. Mm. And I met my wife in this house. Like, the day we opened up our house, like, all of our friends, everyone we knew, like, Christians around, just invited him into worship in there. And then I met this girl, and I was like, dang. (laughs) 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 And we started talking, and then the country actually did lock down again briefly. But by that point, everyone was like, bro, we're not doing this again. So it was a pretty lax lockdown. But Mm -hmm. we started hanging out a lot, me and that girl and her brother and cousin. And then... uh, this was before we had brought the kids in or anything. Like, it was just a house for... It was like a a shelter, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nuts. Very open house. Always people coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she but knew this. What was... Uh, just for a second... To, and we'll get back there, but I, I want to ask. So, we in America have a very, um, like, closed house mm-hmm. situation. But yeah. if you ask a lot of, um, like, New Testament scholars, they would say that the, the, the Roman way and the way that the second temple jewish period would have been basically the time jesus was living in mm-hmm. houses weren't as um privatized as that like yeah. it was kind of open air a little bit more open air and especially yeah. your entertainment area was kind of free flow so what was your experience being in a place that was a lot more free flowing and you know having people come in and out well what were the pluses what were the cons as an extreme extrovert and type seven like Dude, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, would you go back there if you could? Like, if you could open up and not um, get a divorce? Would, <laughs> would, yeah. Would you, would you jump thing, jump um, start that again? I don't know. If, mm, no. I don't know. I, it, was, it was great. I mean, yeah, post-marriage, I definitely, we locked down a little bit more. I mean, that's, I think, a healthy thing to do. We were yeah. establishing, like, a, a family now. So it's not just a single guy with... A bunch of drug addicted homies and <laughs> like fellow yeah. church Christians that just come and go and our doors are never locked. Like that's not really sustainable for I don't think any marriage unless you have a yeah. very clear calling. But no, it was a great season. I loved it. But I also really love the season I'm in now where it's more of an established family. Yeah, There's more a husband rhythmic. and wife and yeah. kids who call us mom and dad. Like that's that's a pretty natural progression, I think. <laughs> yeah. So um, what were the cons of having as open air a place as that? Like, what, you know, what were the drawbacks? Uh, a spouse that didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's I, fair. Was, I was a pretty big fan, man. I, I, I like people around. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's some days where you just want a little privacy, but... Yeah. No, I, I'm... But you can probably go find a place for privacy, right? Like, yeah, for sure. For, at least no, for I'm just, you. I'm just trying to think of cons, and yeah. for me, my personality type, there wasn't many. Loved I, was, it. Yeah. <laughs> I was a big fan. Dude, that would be um, my worst nightmare, is having that many people <laughs> in, in my house at all times. I he, he texted me today and said, yo, what are you doing right now? Yeah. And I said, you and I are such different people <laughs> because I, every text I get is like, hey, can we hang out? Yeah, let's plan for next week, right? Like, I, I need time. I need to get ready. I need to, you know, like, I'm very bifurcated in, yeah. my, in my social and, and private lives. And, yeah. man, Martin's is not that way. Nah. No. Cross so that bridge when you get there, brother. So you're, you're <laughs> hanging out with this girl, Ashmita, right? Yeah. 
and uh, and she's she was hanging out in your house a lot, right? Her and her brother and um, yeah, decent amount. Family, yeah, we were, I was mostly going to her place just because this was still like kind of lockdown, so it was a lot easier for one person to sneak across the road mm-hmm. than four people to sneak across the road. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'd go back and forth. I mean, I had a prayer room in my house. I've, 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 it's been years since I've lived in a place without a prayer room. Hmm. So we would, I'd bring them there and we'd do like chain prayers like all night. Yeah. It was super good. Yeah. Wow. And so when did you get married? When did you decide this was the girl that you, you know? Yeah. So a big factor of that was I had planned to bring these kids in. We were like about to press go and bring the kids in, but then there was that kind of mini lockdown again. Yeah. So it was just, we're in this weird limbo. And I was explaining to her, you know, she was 24, we're like, we're two years apart, so it was whatever we were like two-ish years ago. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're not just dating for fun anymore. It's like, can you understand, (laughs) my life's pretty wild, like, you're going to be marrying into something pretty crazy. She was like, yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. I was like, okay, I would like to think that that's, you know, let's see. Yeah. (laughs) So then, fast forward, there's a bunch of crazy kids running around the house, all kinds of crazy people in the house, and she loved it. Like, before mm. we were even married, the kids were calling her mom. Mm. I was like, okay, this is this is looking good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have high hopes. Yeah. <laughs> so we only actually dated for, like, three months, mm. and uh, then got engaged, and we're only engaged for three months, and now we're a year and a half in of marriage, mm. and uh, so far, so good. So I, I, what I think is funny is, like, in a lot of circumstances over here, when people get married quick like that, it's like, oh, that's not smart, right? Mm-hmm. But you're in a place where, I mean, first off, you had been, you had known this girl for a long time, right? Yeah. A lot longer than three months. Um, and I will hop in on that. I think it's a lot different because here three months is actually nothing because it's like, hey, let's get coffee for two hours on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. we were like 16 hours a day during lockdown yeah. for months. Like we saw each other angry. We saw each other happy. We saw how we grieve. We saw all kinds of stuff. Yeah. She, there was a lot of things like that. Like, one of the people I was really decided to play on the street uh, got mugged and killed, unfortunately, which is how it goes in street oh, ministry. Oh, wow. She was... I was having a really rough time, obviously, and just seeing her, like, kind of nurture me through that and how she reacted to that, and I saw her go through some stuff and all, and we were like, okay, this is... So far, this is very healthy. <laughs> yeah, just seeing how she was. I mean, even just how she was, like, using her time in lockdown. She's sewing stuff and trying to do like online classes on zoom for like vocals and whatnot i'm like i really like this because i can tell you're also very hyper like me yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be able to put up with all of this chaotic energy for sure for sure wow so okay and and you got married how long ago now uh it's been march 22 uh, and it's july now march april May, June. so like a year and four months okay. almost coming on a year and a half okay and what's been the hardest thing so far, you think, in your marriage? I mean, that's, like, that's hard, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Without getting you Let's in trouble. Let's put this on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, what's been just maybe one of the, like, big lessons you've learned thus far? Ashmita, you're perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any couple, any married couple, once you move in together, I mean, if you're, you know, walking out the Christian life and wait until marriage move in there's you're going to be stepping on each other's toes and figuring stuff out yeah and then you factor in different cultures and then different languages and then there's also these crazy kids and drug addicted people running around there's it was it was a rough go at first like i mean we weren't surprised by that but um just i would say the our biggest struggles were just cultural just communication styles because 
in most third world countries, it's a pretty indirect mm. communication system. And in a marriage, that just doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. matter what culture you're from. Like, it, <laughs> I can't read your mind. Girls are already confusing. But if you're <laughs> going to go even a step further and communicate indirectly, like, yo, this, none of that. <laughs> so we had a couple months at first just, just learning how to be married and how to communicate. And sure. another big one was how someone deals with conflict. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, okay, there's a problem. We're going to pause earth right now and not leave until this right. is figured out. Like, <laughs> I can't have this in the back of my mind that you might be angry. You're talking weird. Like, right now. Yeah. <laughs> and Ashmita is the exact opposite where she's like, I just need like a couple hours to kind of collect my thoughts and cool down. And what I just be like, that was tough. Uh, that that took a while, but I mean, once we got that figured out, where now it's just I understand, like okay, they, I can tell you need a couple of hours, like yeah, but please, as soon as you're done, <laughs> then come back to me. Oh man, that's that was that what I would I would say is definitely the hardest part yeah. of, uh, of marriage. And what's been one of the greatest joys so far? Sex. No, I don't know how to. I don't, where do I go from there? I, all right. Well, it's been great having you on. <laughs> play that. Play the outro music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's been amazing. Uh, without revealing too much of my wife's personal life on the internet, uh, she grew up in a pretty broken family. So to be able to see her with me, like serving as parents to these children from broken families is so beautiful yeah that's that's been one of the joys for sure Mm. because she's in a way i mean she's she's even made this comment to me like she's able to offer these kids who aren't even her biological kids offer her like the stability in the family that she never got to see growing up Mm. so it's it's beautiful and christ is glorified through all of it so it's (laughs) it's pretty odd that's been one of the great joys Mm. Mm. and then yeah the other we're also like personality types are super switched if there's any enneagram listeners listening yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm a seven as we already established and ashmeet is a six so there's times where we butt heads for sure but yeah i've seen me as just being so bold and adventurous and just like send it yeah <laughs> i've seen her i've been able to make her take more risks where she's very weary of any kind of risk and not being in control and then she's been able to really kind of rein me in and like hey let's do three things at once instead of 16 <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's it's really good we we both I think healthily kind of met in the middle um, with not as many fights as you would expect from a seven and six marriage. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I imagine um, it's easy to keep your, let's say your spiritual health at the forefront of your marriage because you have so much, you're so invested in the the life of the church and the life of these kids. And right. Like, so like I, I, I kind of wonder I think the, uh, a lot of the times the marriages that I will see, you know, because I'm, I'm a youth pastor and I'm so I'm kind of watching people in the church, right? Mm-hmm. The, the people that I see who have, like, the strongest of marriages are the ones who are continually in and around the church, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're, they're serving, they're spending time, they're, 100%. you know, they're a big part of it. So, like, what, um, what advice would you have for maybe a, a young or older married couple who is like, man, uh, faith is hard to keep at the forefront of my, you know, of our lives. We've had a hard time keeping consistent with it, right? Um, what would what would be your advice in that? My guess is any couple who says that prays together very seldom. 
So same, basically the same piece of advice as before. Yeah, Just man. It's spend it, the time in prayer. Yes, and see what God does. I think that is the prescription for almost every problem with the church. Yeah. So this <laughs> is. I mean, what does Jesus do all the time? Yeah, he, yeah. He runs away and prays with his father in solitude. Yeah, like, yeah. All the time. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> the only man in the Old Testament who is after God's own heart, the one that, that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart, is David, who is the one who established the original 24-7 house of prayer. Yeah. And then Solomon finished it, offered the sacrifice on the altar, and the presence of the Lord filled it with a thick fog. Like, yeah. This is obviously something that is extremely close to God's heart. And if mm. we're not doing that, I think it leads to many problems in every area of everything. Mm. <laughs> so so uh, Martin Luther was once asked um, by his barber how to pray. And he wrote like this little book called, you know, on, on I think it's like On Christian Prayer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm going to ask you now, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking a big game with all this, you know, prayer room and all that stuff. Yes. So Martin, for those who are not sure how to pray, how do you pray? Okay. So, I know that's like, you know, getting right at the root of it, but like, yes. How do you pray? Well, I'm going to premise this by saying I'm a 24 year old. So I just, <laughs> yeah, listen, I, me too. Like I, I'm not, I don't yeah. have these crazy words of wisdom and all of these, these, uh, Big game that I'm talking, as you just said, is mostly from Mike Bickle, the International House of Prayer. Okay. Who he's had a house of prayer since I was born, 24 yeah. years, and he says his he has different methods of praying, and for, so for me personally, I'll speak from personal experience, just having established that now. Like, there's a lot of just sitting in the silence hmm. is so important. Hmm. So one of them is just kind of meditating and listening, and I love the imagery that's in Revelations and just imagining that. Okay, Jesus, what do you look like on the throne? Hmm. Imagining these hundred million angels around the throne, Hmm. using that imagery and just imagining. And that alone, you'll just feel it in your spirit. You're just Hmm. like, good. It's it's amazing. Then there's obviously intercession. Okay, intercession is very important. Uh, Mike Bigel has a great kind of visual for it. I love it where first you have to be praying for inner man. That Mm -hmm. is extremely important. You know, all the apostolic prayers throughout the entire New Testament, you know, that's for us. We're supposed to be declaring these promises, and, and when we do so, it, it edifies us, and then you kind of... Bridge. And what do you mean by those promises? Go, go into more of that. What do you mean by the inner man? What do you, you know, okay, what, is, so what is that? When I'm praying for my inner man, I want to, like, I think praying for that I, Martin, would, would have a, a fear of the Lord would be a big, mm. a big point in my life. So I'm going to pray prayers out of Jeremiah and Proverbs and all these prayers that, that, that uh, talk about the fear of the Lord. Mm. And then keep going down that line of what do I want to see as me, Martin, as my inner man, hmm. you know, I want to be loving and joyful and all these things. So I'm going to, I'm going to take out scriptures and pray them over myself hmm. in this place of prayer. Hmm. And then I'm going to branch out and pray for my direct family. And then it depends how much time you have or how deep you want to go. But yeah. the idea is you keep expanding out So your direct family, then your church, then your city, your nation, the world, pray for Jesus to come back, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Another great way, this is Mike Bickle says is his favorite way is to just read the scriptures so he calls it prayer reading so you just read a scripture and then you just like keep declaring it and just meditate on it and just listen and just be like it's this really is good. so amazing like it's really good because <laughs> you're right in front of you is the word of god this is your compass and then you're also having that silence and, and and intimacy at the same time yeah i think if you're curious how to prayer and where to start start there because you yeah. can't you literally can't mess that up <laughs> i mean i'm taking notes right now because like yeah. prayer is not always the easiest for me either right, right? It's... so go to ephesians yeah <laughs> crack and it open start. and just read the sentence and be like yeah. oh my goodness <laughs> yeah and then repeat it and keep declaring it and then just keep going I and mean, you can do mm-hmm. that forever 
And I, then as a musician and worship leader, I, I really love, I mean, this obviously doesn't really apply to people if you're not singing and playing, but I love to sing and worship and then just just play my instrument and just kind of listen. And all of a sudden I'll just kind of sing my prayers out. And mm. I think that's so good because we know from Revelations that's what's going on in heaven. It's mm. nonstop singing and the four living creatures and the elders cast thrones and the angels are singing out. Like I like to imagine that when you're singing and praying and singing your prayers at the same time, it feels really good. And I will say as someone who's not nearly as musical as you, um, mm. I play a little bit of guitar, but it's pretty unnatural for me. And I sing yeah. basically only when I need to. Right. Um, when you, when you can like, it may seem like a, a, a simple or a trivial thing to pray through singing, mm. but there is something really powerful about that. And I think especially when you're not just going off of other people's words, but when you're making up your own, yeah. right? doesn't have to rhyme, doesn't have to be pretty. You yeah. don't have to sing well, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't. 100%. But the, the uh, kind of the task of trying to come up with the next thing to say, mm-hmm. it really hones you in on who God is. And you have to yeah. start thinking. It's, it's like, it's an intense exercise. Yeah. Right? And you'll start realizing that you hear the voice of the Lord, it's just not as blatantly obvious as you thought it was. Because mm. you'll, I've seen it time and time again, people who say they don't hear anything. They're praying for whatever. They're praying for salvation, whatever. All of a sudden, they just kind of keep singing and praying and whatever, and they're somehow praying for, you know, father-son relationships that are broken. That They're like, how did I get here? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That's, the spirit leads you, man. Where like, your heart moves, yeah. yeah you just, just open up and mm. go, like, you'll see it again and again. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I can't help but think about how it says that um, Matthew 4, I think, when, when Jesus is being, you know, he's, he's been baptized, and the first thing after that is it doesn't say, and then he went out into the wilderness, but that mm. the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, yeah. right, to the silent place, to the desolate place. Right. And that, right, like, that's the heart of the prayer room, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, 100%. the prayer room isn't supposed to be entertaining. The prayer no. room is supposed to be a place where you... Um, go and find the one who blows away all entertainment, right? Like, transcends all entertainment. That's why I premised this when you asked me the first thing I said was solitude and silence. Yeah. Because it starts... the Desolation, you know? Isolation is not typically the place of, okay, here's my prayer list, and this is what I mean. It's it's silence. It's just that. You hear that whisper, and... Yeah. Just, even from a worldly perspective, just sitting in silence and just breathing... That's, mm. That itself is really good for you, because we don't really do that as humans. Yeah. But as a Christian, I mean, that can't be optional. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'll ask now, you see, you've talked a, a, a bit about Mike Bickle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that right? Mike, yeah. Mike Bickle. And then, there, I think there have been some other, like, key authors and writers in, that you've, you know, kind of read that, mm-hmm. you know, you might not be an expert in them, but, right. but they've kind of helped guide and direct you and your spirituality as you're yeah, over, yeah. over there, what are some other guys that you've been listening to? Yeah, so early on, I really loved uh, Shane Claiborne, Irresistible Revolution. He, hmm. uh, crazy guy, he hung out with Mother Teresa. He's in, now, I think he's still in the streets of Philly. Hmm. Uh, he Don't follow him so much now. He went very political, which I'm not a big fan of. But hmm. yeah, early on, he just talks about what I'm saying, just trying to love the least as Jesus loved them. I mean, he hung out with the goat of doing this, Mother Teresa. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was really encouraging and just sharing his life stories and just talking about how he how he does it sustainably. Mm. But I just love hearing him talk, and we have really similar stories, Shade and I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, 
Yeah, early Francis Chan too was a big one because he's also pretty, pretty radical. I'm Puts his on, mouth money where his mouth is for sure. Yeah, I'm big on those guys. Um, those were the ones early on that really uh, kind of drove me. Yeah. And then when I got on my big prayer room kick, I love reading about the Desert Fathers, which is <laughs> we've yeah. talked had yeah. many discussions of the Desert Fathers. I mean, they're Eastern Orthodox, so it's. A little strange. Well, it's arguable, right? Like they were they were early enough that they were before the schism. They're, right, right, right. They're they're early church. They're yeah. They're early church. Yeah. So I like we I can re- take those. Yeah, we yeah. Can take those guys. Yeah, they're, they're acceptable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then uh, Bonhoeffer's obviously a big one. Hmm. There's a pretty common theme with people I read. Yeah, that theme being they put their money where their mouth is. They put yeah, their I'm life on, on the that. line. Like that's that's how I kind of premised when I said that how I opened my birth at our ministry, which we named Zion, was like. Hmm. <laughs> the Bible says bring the homeless into your house. Right. Okay. I'm going to bring the homeless in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, yeah, so I like reading people who, who also did that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cost of Discipleship is a very life-changing book. Yeah, for real. I just finished it yesterday. Just, yes. Yeah, crazy. So um, those are all good. So for if you're listening and you want to be, I don't know, if, you're, if your heart is, is kind of moving to where Martin's been, you know, uh, talking about the past hour or so, you know, if you feel like you're resonating, um, this, there's some there's some people that can maybe guide you in the way and, and sure. encourage you in your faith. Um, what does church life look like for you over there? Yeah, I have like the best church ever. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> yes. What's your church called? Like, so do they church, have a name? Yeah, it's New Life Kathmandu. You can find New us Life. on YouTube. We got millions of views. <laughs> Wait, for real? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they're just a non-denominational church that loves worship, and yeah. uh, same same gig. They 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 walk, they walk the talk. Yeah. And so I, being a musician, just hit it off with them pretty quick and joined their worship team years ago. Mm. And then in Nepal, it's once you get married, you the wife has to go to the husband's church anyways. Mm. But it was actually perfect because her church wasn't great, and mm. our church is, I mean, I think a very good picture of what church should be Interesting. and so my wife's a singer and i'm a musician so we're both on the team now yeah and it's very good wow and yeah we do like we translate some of the good english songs into nepali and then we also make our own nepalese worship songs mm. which is pretty much not a scene there so yeah. we're taking the western style music sort of kind of going after elevation brandon lake you know trying to not just copy them but learn from them and but with nepali lyrics and our yeah. own lyrics it's very successful i mean it's amazing that through that, millions of people literally are hearing the gospel through song. It's yeah. so beautiful. And what are your instruments? What do you What do you enjoy playing? Uh, so I quote unquote professionally play guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I've been playing bass for a while, and then I can kind of dabble on drums and keys. But yeah. in church, I mostly just play bass. Yeah. And then I also produce music. Yeah, and that's kind of how you've been making some side side gig money, yes. yeah? If you need beats, hit up your boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But it's been cool, too, because in the church, I'm really good friends with a Christian rapper over there, which is also not really a scene. Yeah. But I make the beats for him. I work in a studio. We linked up, and he got like 30,000, 40,000 views, I think, on this Christian rap. Just wow, like wow. The gospel. So it's so cool, man. Wow. I love it. So, so for, uh, kind of in the last year, I want to ask you about, and I know you got to get going here pretty soon. but Not um, a good time. Uh, what is the policy? You just said that you know he's he's producing this music that's that's preaching the gospel. What is the what is kind of the governmental stance on Christianity in Nepal? You know, there's not a lot of Christians there, but like, what is you know what is their what are their rules? Yeah, so they're not pleased with evangelism. 
Um, <laughs> like church was okay, but um, when I came in 2018, yeah. it was like I think six, five or six percent Christian. Mm. Fast forward 2023, they're saying like the new polls, they're saying 14 percent Christian. And that's all because of you. Yeah, I just <laughs> single single handedly. Single handedly, no. Uh, but <laughs> through rap. So there's there's a huge ex- <laughs> so there's a huge explosion going on. Yeah. In, so the government's like not super pleased with that because mm. they want to keep it a Hindu nation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, their church is still allowed, and I don't think that's going to change. But they're not happy with evangelism mm. at all. So, you know, as we close here, what would be your advice to somebody who's maybe stateside and discouraged about evangelism over here? Like, what's you know, what what are the what are the differences in cultures? I guess. Um, what are the major points, and then what um, what would you say to that person who's having a, a hard time with? with the call to evangelize over here? I would say same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, that's a tough one, man. And that's, I mean, I really don't have an answer for that because, I mean, we've discussed before, I maybe in another podcast, we talk all about the crazy signs and wonders I've seen over in, in these third world countries, but it's very difficult here in the West because I think we've sort of eliminated the need for, for miracles and this need for the word of life. I mean, mm-hmm. where I'm at, some of these rougher places I've been to, like, there's a family sleeping on, like, mud floors in their huts, mm-hmm. and they have sicknesses and pains, and they don't have enough money for water. Right. So, when I come along, and this has happened, where I've prayed for people, and they're just immediately healed of their pains. Yeah. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, I didn't do that. That was Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. When that happens, it's like, whoa. And like, that's what we see in the New Testament and the, and the early church and the disciples. Like they were known for their signs and wonders that followed them. I mean, in Luke seven, it's one of my favorite chapters. Mm-hmm. John's locked up in prison, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are mm-hmm. you the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus doesn't say yes. He says, signs and wonders follow me everywhere. The poor have the good news preached to them. The dead are raised go tell John these things you've seen. Like, yeah. So this is a pretty big part of our yeah. walk, you know, but with that said, I don't see it here like ever. And it's really hard because when you, most people don't need prayer for pain to be relieved because yeah. they just go get a Vicodin prescription. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're struggle with anxiety, then you get a prescription. Like they, you don't need yeah. supernatural provision when there's always enough. Like, so yeah. And pain is like an enemy with us, right? Like it's, yeah. it's there's no tolerance for pain. Zero. Even though the, our oftentimes our ways of life will cause us to be in constant pain because we're not working out well, we're not keeping good care of ourselves, we mm-hmm. work ourselves to death, right? Right. And yet all the while we're we're like treating pain like an enemy, right? Like right. like the plague. It's yeah, man. So if you're struggling to evangelize in the states, yo, I've, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I feel ya. I mean. It's not like it's not being done, but I don't think I'm the guy to, to seek advice for on this one, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I would go That's back fair. to the, uh, spend more time in the place of prayer, and that will for sure fill mm, you. Mm. It will give you more guidance, but mm. yeah, read some Francis Chan or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well, we'll we'll call it here. We just hit an hour. Um, thanks so much for podcasting with me, man. Yeah, dude. I'm going to put my shirt back on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to Sophomoros. We'll catch you on the next one. May Christ be exalted. Amen. Mm-hmm.